Welcome to Neither Here Nor There. usually have people return. It's so great to have you. I'm sorry. I have something for you. I'll just need you to wait a moment. In the meantime, let me ask you, have you ever wondered what it would be like to unravel? Not emotionally, physically. You, as a person, slowly losing who you are until you are no more. Have you ever felt that? Would you like to? It will only be a minute. I promise you I am keeping one eye open, watching. Here, in the meantime, I need you to catch up. So much has happened since you've been gone. Here is the story of Emmerich Tiller, told to you by the man himself. Luckily for us, he'd recorded audio logs of himself over the course of, I don't know, weeks, months, years. Everything can be so unclear when you've been staring for this long. I should be more prepared. I apologize. The first audio tape is here. The story of the unraveling man, Emmerich Tiller. So that little red button there, you see it? That little red button? Is this thing really recording? It's that easy? Let's just pretend it is. And if it's not, we'll just do it again. Hey, big girl. I can't believe you're almost here. We are so excited to finally meet you. I'm your father, Emmerich. Bit of an old name, but... He's got a grandpa's name. Hey, it's not a grandpa's name. It's your grandpa's name. Alright, fine. It isn't a grandpa's name. It's a great-grandpa's name. Is that better? Old man. (laughs) I cannot wait to meet you. Me and your mother Jane have your due date marked off on the calendar. May 3rd. You'll be a spring baby. A perfect metaphor for blooming right into our lives. Isn't that right, honey? Your father has always been like this, too. Get ready for some poetry, even when you beg him to stop. Hey! I cannot wait to meet you. The doctor says you've got your mother's eyes, and nose, and hair. Bald. But that just means you're... Bald. All the more... Bald. ...beautiful. And yes, I'm bald. I'm just playing, Emmy. Oh no, it's fine. I just wish I could have given my daughter my beautiful head of hair. That's all. We are so excited to meet you. Just six long, long months uh, till we can finally say hello to you. And who knows? Maybe I'll even greet you with a handshake. I'll wear a suit. Young love. It's so beautiful. So much happens so fast and you feel invincible. But life has its many detours that it forces us to take. Their daughters would never arrive. 
a mess of several medical complications happening at once, all leading to a miscarriage. The couple would once again try to have a child, which led to the following recording. Red button? You see that? I learned. Yeah, you did learn how to press a button, didn't you? Hey! Hey, big girl. You have no idea how badly we want to meet you. We've got your due date marked on the calendar and everything. It's November 8th. Don't know if you'll be born on this exact day, but you'll be... Our little Thanksgiving turkey. Our little turkey. We just wanted to make this tape to introduce ourselves. Uh, maybe have a cool keepsake when you're, uh, when you're 18 and we're guilt-tripping you for leaving the house to go away to college. Babe. I'm kidding. I'm Emmerich, but you can call me Emmy. Or Dad. Not too picky. And I'm Jane. I will be your mother whether you like it or not. I don't really know how to end this, but do know, we love you so much. We both cannot wait to finally meet you. She never arrived. Doctors could never find out what the primary cause was for the infertility issues both Jane and Emmerich struggled with. This, among other things, became the primer for what any healthy couple would define as the rocky area. The third tape was recorded nearly two years later. It goes as follows. You want to sit here and record with me? No, this is for you. I'm just going to go. Alright, well... Hello, I'm Emmerich. My wife Jane calls me Emmy, and... Things aren't that great right now. My buddy Derek, he's been going to couples therapy for a bit with him and his wife, and the therapist recommended sitting down and recording your thoughts. A way of, uh, I don't know, at-home therapy? Something you can just do and not need a licensed professional in the room to help you with? It also helps remembering all the shit that went wrong with that week, I guess. Can't tell you how many times I've sat down and thought, Ah, I'm here. Everything's better. So when she asks me how I'm feeling, I just go, Great, thanks for asking. Here's $150. Sorry, that shouldn't have said that. You do good work. I'll just move on and say, Here it is, I guess. Hang on, let me just close the door. Jane and I are... not okay. I have a friend at work who jokes about how his kid saved his marriage. Gave him and his wife something else to be mad at. (laughs) But that's not really a luxury we have at all. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the stress from work. Maybe it's genetic. I don't know. It's just... Jane's miscarried twice. Both times we got past the first trimester, everything was going great. Then... One day, I... I get that call. She texted me a lot that day. I remember it really well. Work's been... a bit much to handle... 
So I've been taking my lunches alone. We used to go out in these big groups, you know? All the funny guys from the office being rowdy, splitting a check up 12 ways. Yeah, it's office culture. It sounds bad to say out loud, but experiencing it is one of the few highs you'll experience in corporate finance. This job I have, I, I just look at numbers. It's nothing hard. You could literally train a monkey to do this. It's an awful job for someone like me who takes everything personally. Every dip, that's a client losing money. Every spike, that's success you don't get to scrape off the top from. It's unfulfilling. I started taking my lunches alone in my car, and I would turn it on and just sit there in the quiet with my AC as high as physically possible. Then one day, I got a text. Then another. Then another. It sounded like something was wrong. And then I saw it. It was Jane. I already knew what it was. After the first call a few months ago, we both were shattered. I can't even describe the emotion that lingered for weeks after. Have you ever been promised something life-changing, then it's pulled out from under you? The first call was rough. That night we stayed up, crying for hours, packing up all the little baby clothes that people just gave to us, talked about donating it to charity with some sad story, really, really pressuring parents to not throw it in a landfill somewhere. But the second call, she, she was just numb. I remember how she said it too. She said, we won't be having a child together. I know what she meant. She was being negative, which I get. All I have to hear is the bad news, you know? I don't have to experience the violent expulsion of, you know, from her. Sorry, it's been a lot. We've been getting a bit more distant as time's gone on, and we both want to make it work. Me more so. So, here's my first tape. You gotta admit, I, I feel a bit better, you know? I'll be handing this to you when we see each other, and hopefully this'll start the journey to being Jane and Emmy again. Here... we... go. You've been here too, haven't you? Maybe not with love, maybe not with a child, but you felt stranded. Felt the tightening embrace of things just off into the horizon that haven't come into focus yet. A man riding in on a pale horse, with you, is the only thing in his field of view. It's not always that you're put through a gauntlet, but you know what they say. When it rains, it pours. The next tape follows the immediate aftermath of a national recession. When it rains, it pours. When it rains... Fucking pores. They cut 70% of the sales floor today. 
Oil futures plummeted 11.2% overnight, which, you know how this shit goes. Everyone and their fucking mother withdraws and the economy tanks. The analysts, the guys who play with the rich pricks money, were always the first on the chopping block. Can't make money if there is none, right? Derek got let go. I don't get the rationale here. They told half of us to go into one room and the other to stay out on the floor. And they said, if you're in this room, congratulations. If you're by your desk, well, you may want to start packing. I looked around for a bit and saw some familiar faces, I guess, but not Derek. He was out on the floor. I'm sorry. How do you tell the guy who just lost his job that it should have been you, not him? Can you be any more fucking patronizing? <sighs> I tried calling him, but he hung up. It had rang once, and it would hang up. I did it a few times, but I'm pretty good at pattern recognition. He used to ask me every day how I was, like he cared or something, and now, well, I guess this is modern friendship. You got a few at home, a partner if you're lucky, and mostly you've got work friends. I didn't realize how quickly that would all go away the second they weren't inside those walls with you anymore. I don't care. I'll miss you, Derek. What goes down must come up. I remember hearing that a lot when I was growing up. But not all things in Tummel are destined to rebound. You may one day also be aboard a ship destined for the stars. Your outlook on life more positive than when you were a child. But something goes wrong. What used to operate efficiently is no longer in use. You're pulling a hand crank, and what was once approaching you at great speed is now falling away from you, faster and faster. Impact is at any moment now, isn't it? Something happened today. Something. Something. I know I've fallen off recording these. Things haven't been as smooth as I'd hoped for. I was at work today, doing the usual rounds. I try to cement myself as the office fun guy, given how bleak everything's been. I do my usual routine. No one has desks in the center of the floor anymore because of the mass layoff, so we all got offices around the perimeter. Nice, right? Like, we all get to sit where management used to. It's a bit of a power trip if you let your mind wander. I was doing my usual trip. Jane got me this funny mug. It's, it's an octopus. And the handle's a tentacle. Uh, I walk around and just kind of hold it in front of me. Make an eye contact the whole time with, you know, whoever I'm talking to. Trying not to break a smile the whole time. Uh, it's It's gotten a few laughs. So... I'm getting ready to head out, trying to be a bit more present than the others. The recovery package, if you could even call it that, isn't really bringing anyone back to our workplace, so I gotta do what I can to survive. I cut off the lights and 
There's one that's still on, way down at the end of the hallway. It's a high-stress job. I get it. Sometimes you're here for 14 hours, and you need to run. Uh, I've been there. So I... I started to make my way down the hallway, and I see someone from Accounts Payable just sitting at his desk. His computer's off, his bag's packed, but he's just sitting there, palms on the desktop, and just staring right at me. I raise my cup up and say something like, Ah, they're really working you, huh? I don't know, I'm just trying to make conversation. I've seen this look before. Have you ever seen someone so unhappy that just the sight of someone makes their face scrunch up? I... I was the guy that caused that, I guess. I kind of do, like, a wave at him and say, Well, hope all's well, man. Catch you tomorrow. And he kept doing that same... Slow, painful, knowing, nod. I guess I did it back at him. I was probably bothering him, I don't know. So I start leaving, and... Then I hear it. Now, I know for a fact he's not popping champagne. A couple of the guys used to do that if we hit numbers, and... It doesn't really seem like something you'd do on your own. It's just... It's just me and him. I froze. I didn't know what was going on in that room. Is this guy a mass shooter? Am I next? You always hear stories about these guys losing their minds and taking down half the workforce with them. And I'm not about to be a statistic, you know? I tried to walk away as quietly as I could. Looking back as much as I could heading for the elevator, but there was no movement. Shadows weren't waving around. Whatever was in that room is still in there, just... waiting. I couldn't leave him. The more I look back at the light coming from his doorway and the smoky hallway from the round going off, I... I felt a magnetism to it. It's almost like I needed to be there. Something was calling me to be in there with him. I picked up my bag and slowly trudged my way down the hallway. Each doorway I passed being a new corner I had to check. Make sure I'm not next. The office of Jeremy Mackey, MBA. Clear. The office of Leslie T. Washington, CPA. Clear. The office of Dave Alstane, MBA. Clear. The office of Heather Moltisanto, BBA. Clear. I kept walking towards it, the light beckoning me forwards, almost like the lure from an angler fish. I, I almost wanted to reach out and touch it. I finally get to the doorway, and all the fear came rushing back to me. I threw my suitcase, wondering if he'd shoot at it. I don't know. Like, I, I don't fucking know this guy. What do you even do here? And then... Nothing happened. I get down incredibly low, peek my head in, which was when I saw him. His name was Chris. Walking into the room, I tried to keep as tight of a grip on the frame of the door as I could. I didn't need to.
Chris was still there, sitting in his chair. Well, what was left of him? I yelled at him. Chris! Chris, the fuck did you do to yourself, man? Chris! And he didn't reply. I didn't even know what you would sound like with your jaw blown off like that. I... I never knew what this would look like. In the movies, you always expect this to be some big mess, you know? Like some someone fired a cannon full of fake blood at the wall. But, but with Chris, he... He just sat there. His face was mangled. He... Couldn't speak. He just sat there gurgling. I don't know what came over me. I'm usually the first to call the police, an ambulance, whatever, but with Chris, I I just stood there, watching him. He couldn't move. His left hand stayed, palm down, on top of his desk, and his right hand was dropped to his side. I didn't have to worry about the gun. It fell out of his hand. It's the first thing I checked for. I'm sure I look like an insane person, my eyes darting everywhere just to lock eyes with... Chris. I don't know why I stared. Every moment that passed being pure agony for him, I mean... What was I supposed to do? Shoot him? I'm not a murderer. You fucking know I'm not getting my fingerprints all over the gun that was literally just used to... kill someone. With my mind racing, Chris sat there, choking. I just watched. It wasn't entertaining. It wasn't something I wanted to do. I just, I just froze there. I felt as helpless as he did. Just as I started to collect myself, get composed, I don't know what I was thinking. Something. No. no this, this is going to sound insane. I... I'm... I'm not... I'm not going. Alright, fine. I... I'm not fucking around. I... I felt something pass through me. It's like something not of this world passed through me. It cut through me. Like a... Like a warm knife through butter. Everything that it touched. The base of my skull, my stomach, the backs of my legs. It all felt so cold. I know what you talked about, the effects of stress doing strange things to your body. But this wasn't stress. I know the difference between an anxiety attack and being walked through. Something, someone, I don't know, passed through me that night. I stood there, shaking. I... Just staring at my hands. And when I looked up, there was Chris. Chris was seated just like he was. I, I don't even know how long I'd been standing there. But then he raised up. His chest looked like it was being pulled by a meat hook. And with one last gasp, Chris... He... He was gone. The gurgling, the choking, the painful mess of a man that was in front of me just a second ago, slowly collapsed in on himself until his head hit the table and he was no more. 
The room warmed up. I finally felt like I could control my arms and legs again. I, I just ran down the hallway, grabbed my phone, and just dialed 911. I waited there that night until the cops and the paramedics showed up, let them know that he's not armed and dangerous, no need for a SWAT team, and they bagged him up and sent him off. I'm up to my fucking neck in police reports right now, but luckily they don't think I did it. Apparently everyone and their mother knows of someone in investing that just off themselves in the office. It's just... I don't think they've felt what I've felt. What passed through me that night? Why can't I get that feeling out of my chest? Faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. I know I haven't shown up in a bit over a month. I'm here now. I have no one. Derek won't pick up my calls anymore, and Jane, she... She's... We were cleaning one day. I was folding up laundry, and I noticed all that was left was mine. I walked up to her, just trying to joke. I said something like, Oh, so we're doing our own laundry now? She didn't change her face. She looked at me, cold and vacant, and just said, I'm, I'm done. done. She slowly had been moving her stuff out of the house without me knowing. I haven't really been the most attentive husband recently. She told me to go to therapy, and I didn't. Derek isn't picking up, so I've just been sitting here. Quiet. It hasn't been easy on her, and I know that. I just... I need to get back on track. I know you, and I haven't spoken in a bit, and I'm... I'm here. I'm ready. I'm ready to get back on track and show Jane that this thing that we're in can get better. I know it. We both know this. I'm... I'm not okay. I... She's... Gone. She... She... Left. I've... I've got... Nothing. My... House... My house is empty. It's all mine now. I... I am very sorry to interrupt, but it's happening now. All of this, you do know why I showed it to you, don't you? Oh no, you haven't known. Oh. You are about to witness something many people only ever get to see once. Come, watch with me. Look at him, sitting there. His apartment is completely barren. I don't believe I see any pictures in his room. 
He's completely broken, isn't he? Here, look over towards the wall. Do you see the dusty rectangular outlines? Those were once memories. All of them, gone. Now, look at the wall over there. I think we know who's come to visit, don't we? There he is. What a spectacular man. Look at him, managing to almost compose the movements of walking as if he's a bipedal man. He truly is something spectacular. Oh, you don't know who this is, do you? Well, I'd like to introduce you to death. He takes many forms. You stack the body of death with ornate jewelry and animals you've slaughtered as a means of placing blame on him. But it wasn't death that swung that axe, was it? It was you. Death is an incredibly kind but stern figure. He will adorn whatever it is that you dress him in. Death comes in so many forms, after all. How you perceive him is how he will be perceived to you. Apwash, the Mayan god of death, is adorned in almost shamanistic wardrobe, with his body decomposing along with the people he drags to the underworld, while you, dear viewer, may view him as someone you know. Death comes in many forms, after all. Oh, this is such a rare sight to see. I cannot believe you came back at such an opportune time. Here, listen with me. Hello. Just end it. End this. I don't think you know what you're asking for here, Emmy. Don't call me that. All right, Emmerich. You've called for me, and I offer a service. What would you like from me? She's gone. He's gone. I... I want out. I'm not made for this. I... I want it to end. Well, life is, and always has been suffering. Cutting it short is cutting... Everyone says this shit. You understand that? Every fucking person I meet talks about how the bad times are here so you can appreciate the good. What fucking good will I get from this? Do you see me? Do you know I'll never be a father? If misery's the point, then just fucking end me. Misery is... Fucking end me, then. I've never seen someone speak to him like this. This is unprecedented. I apologize. Death does not look happy. Does he? I usually do not come to people when they are in the state you are in, Emmerich. I tend to intervene when people are at the bridge. Do you know what I mean by this? Emmerich, do you know what I mean by this? I'm going to leave you with a story before I go. And when I go, do know that I will not be coming back. Would you like to hear my story, Emmerich? Yes. Uh, 
I'm ready to hear your story. A family of moths flew in to a tailor's shop. The tailor was a busy man, to say the least. He had a myriad of customers coming and going, which left him with a massive surplus of work to be done. Because business was booming, the nature of commerce, the man started to shift his lower-paying customers' clothing to the back of the store. He would offer to correct this by offering a solution, simply saying a higher cost may prioritize your clothing. And to a poor man, your coat is as good as gone. The family of Maz learned about this and decided to visit his shop. They flew in through the front door past several busy sewing hands, through a vent, out a grate, and then they saw the pile of clothes that were never to be tended to. To a moth, this is paradise. A virtual gold rush that had paid off. Here, the family of moths had enough fibers that they could feed in an unending line of their lineage without ever having another day of being hungry again. Several life cycles eclipse. Moths come and go, you know the way of things. But then one day, a lone moth decided that the way of things was no longer in the cards for him. Just outside the glass pane door of the fabric closet was a seamstress who tended to only work nights. Now, this was at a time when you didn't have lights readily available hanging above you. At her workstation were a few simple things. A couple spools of thread, a pin bag full of needles, a paper detailing modifications to be made to an overcoat, and one lit candle. The arrogant moth saw this flame and knew that he had figured out something that his family, he thought, were too stupid to understand. So he flew through a grate and down a vent where suddenly he saw it, an unattended candle dancing in the wind. The woman must have stepped away. There were no hands swanning at him or his body. So he swooped down to take a closer look. It was mesmerizing. He'd never seen such an awe-inspiring dance before. With every small draft of wind, the flame would take a new shape. And after staring at it long enough, the lines would blur and you would picture the flame as the thing you viewed the most beautiful to yourself. This hypnotic dance will have an effect on you too, if you stare long enough. Some view the dance of the flame as the one who got away. Others view it as a long gone family member. Whatever it is, the flame acts as a lure to those willing to bite. The moth's family begged him, pleaded, no, stop, you don't know what you're doing. But the arrogant moth persisted. He flew close to the flame, seeing visions of a better life, a better world, then swooped by again and saw a long-lost love. He kept making passes until one time his wing was singed. Down, down he went tumbling into the melted wax, which was so heavy that he would never fly again. 
the intense heat of the flame slowly melting his body until he was completely and totally incorporated into the body of the melting candle. I... I think I understand. Do you now? I... I get it. Listen to those around you, because... They may know what you don't. Not quite. If you fly too close to the sun, you may get burned. (sighs) Goodbye, Emmerich. Phenomenal. He really is an artist, isn't he? Oh, you may want to turn your head, or gaze with me at what will quickly become the worst day in Emmerich's life. Have you ever heard of spontaneous human combustion? You haven't? Well, we better make this quick. I don't want you to miss a thing. Spontaneous human combustion is simple. A man or woman has burned to death with no real source of ignition. Scientists love to delineate over external sources potentially influencing the unfortunate victim, but none have ever gained traction. The remains of the person experiencing the combustion are almost always charred into the chair that they're sitting in, with no evidence of smoke above or below them. A spontaneous combustion, all in all. Within the first few seconds, it starts behind the sternum, a feeling comparable to the worst heartburn you've ever felt. This will be an oasis compared to what happens to the body next. Next, the skin on your chest, then forearms, then the tops of your thighs begins to tighten. It gets tighter, and tighter, and tighter, until... It's too late. The skin begins to peel back, then flake off, some raising through the air, carried by the hot air before disintegrating into a small pile of ash beneath the source of ignition. By this point, the pain is so excruciating that the host will begin to beg and plead externally, rather than internally. Seconds later, the internal body temperature rises, causing massive organ failure, starting with the digestive tract, then making its way to the smaller, more intricate organs. The amount of smoke produced by the body at this point is blinding, the host becoming a weapon of war, with the amount of toxic gas being emitted from its hull. By this point, we are almost one minute in, agonizing pain that is nearly halfway done. The traumatic experience of burning to death isn't one you'd expect as most people only live 90 to 120 seconds, with the cause of death being smoke inhalation. A cruel bit of irony, given the circumstances. The fire rages, consuming more and more of the host until suddenly, they're reduced to a pile of ash. Another story to be added to local folklore. Emmerich was a troubled man, Someone you may have seen some of yourself in. An embodiment of someone who truly believed that life, despite all evidence, would only get worse. In his case, he was correct.
do not call for death. Death is cruel, he is unkind, and will give you exactly what you're asking for. When flying around your candle, whatever it may be, keep your distance. Admire its beauty. Treat the flame as you treat your own body. But when the temptation arises, do know, if you fly too close to the sun, you may also get burned. Neither Here Nor There is a bi-weekly horror joint writing and audio production project. The music for this show is provided by Cryo Chamber. A link to their band camp is in the description. <laughs>